Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Liz Loza. I'm joined by Matt Harmon and... As always, our fearless leader, Brett. Fearless. Fearless into the night. Lead us like Washington crossing the Delaware. Oh, yeah. It's Christmas Eve. We're going to get some Hessians. We're going to get them good. <laughs> Revolutionary War ref. Here, yeah. Uh, I know. Three I know two facts guess. about that painting. Christmas Day, Hessians. And you German use, mercenary use soldiers all hung over on Christmas morning. Wow. We're getting deep into it on the Fantasy Football Podcast. You guys should probably talk. Do you want to say, say, do you want, Let's do you want, do you want um, feed the need for mead. Yeah. Oh, what? Because yeah. they're were, getting hung over on mead. Come yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, you were crushing it last week with some of the analogies and the puns and the references, but this one was a little. I, I, oh, I'm I, sorry. I, I didn't start I think with you, the Hessians yeah. reference. <laughs> I mean, so you come at me, bro. You weren't set up for much success with like a Revolutionary War uh, bit, but, you know, no problem. Oh. All right. Well, you know. I am not the only one trying to trying to make things work. The XFL is trying to make things work again. Talk about a revolution. What? They have new teams and Matt are well Brett wants to know your favorite. He has no interest in knowing what my favorite team is, but well, I, tell think us. He, I think he writes that on the outline for you to ask me, right? And then we I mean, start I feel like today is probably not the day for me to go after Brett. So fair enough. <laughs> um, to be honest, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't really like any of these. Uh, You're do you, such a fuck. Yeah. A, a what? I'm a what? Uh, like a Good. Debbie Downer. I mean, I what happened to the Silver Linings rebrand? Come oh, I mean, on. yeah, the, the Silver Linings rebrand is in full effect. But I, I just don't. I thought that's to, to the AF's credit, RIP. I thought they had some nice. Looking uniforms, some nice names. Some, some of them were rough. Um, but I, you know what? I'll tell you what. You tell me what. I am not messing with anything in Houston called a roughneck. That no. is one thing yeah. that's for that's damn stu- sure. That stood out to me right away when I saw this. I was like, don't like that one. That's the best one. No. no. At the least Seattle- harkens back to the day of the the Oilers, the Houston Oilers. The rest of them are like, it's like in Starship Troopers where they're playing the weird Nerf football at the beginning. They're all just like fake teams from a fake sci-fi movie. You know, L.A. Wildcats, not great either. Known for the Wildcats. The L.A. Traffic has been my favorite name for an L.A.-based team. What was that? Which one was that? It doesn't exist. It's in my... I'm oh, wish casting. Oh, oh you, you're wish casting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like the Seattle Dragons. I'm going to say it. Ah, Maybe it makes... But listen. Dragons are kind of lame. You are so lame. Dragons aren't lame. God, it just makes me think of um, Game of Thrones and me at my peak. That's what it makes me think of. Daenerys riding in on one, burning it down. Dragons could do that. And Seattle's a dope city. Like, I went there for the first time in February and, lo- no, Janu- was it January? Loved it. Loved it. Yeah, no, I I think Seattle, I would love to go to Seattle. It's it's one of my, it's on my list. Um, I kind of like, what is that, DC Defenders is okay? I mean, it's, the name could use some work, but I think it's my favorite logo like it's a nice crest look that's fine to me um but i, I will tell you this you know liz you, you tell me what i'll tell you what you have said i feel like for the last four podcasts about first impressions you know especially relating to antonio brown and when someone shows you who they are you know that whole thing you've been yeah. talking about that a lot i think that my <laughs> british already shaking his head i think first impressions wise like and just 
you know, I, I need these leagues to prove it to me a few times before I get invested again. I got, I, I really tried to get a little too into the AAF to start, and I feel burned by the fact that, you know, there's just... You aren't the only one. They're gone. It's over, you know? And, like, it was interesting, and then it was gone. And, I mean, I didn't get too invested in it but i did like draft a fantasy team Mm -hmm. so i'm not i'm not really like people have been asking who's your who's your xfl team which i'm like i don't i'm i'm gonna need some time for these leagues to prove it to me before i think about getting back in again what about um having some time to listen to a voicemail can we do that i got plenty of time for that hey liz and matt this is chris from ohio uh big fan of you guys i love listening to you guys show and watching your clips on facebook and all the other stuff um so my question is uh, what advice do you have for me? I tend to fall in love with upside and physical ability. So I'll go for guys that, you know, have like great 40 times, combine performances, fast twitch ability, um, you know, kind of boomer bust guys. And I'll kind of ignore some guys that are more solid and steady, not spectacular, not super athletic. So I was wondering if you had any advice for me or if there's any guys that you guys are targeting that kind of fit into that category that I'm ignoring a little bit. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. So I think this is interesting because it bleeds into a conversation that we've kind of broached before about roster construction. Yep. Right. Like we all want the boomer bus guys because they're exciting and the ceiling's exciting, the Kyler Murray potential, et cetera. But you can't have a team full of those guys. You need to stack them with some floor options. So who are Matt? Like I think Devonte Adams is like a fantastic floor option who is also elite. Right. Yeah, for sure. I make, and I think there's also another way we can spin this too, which is there's such a thing as, you know, boom or bust from a season long perspective and also boom and bust from a weekly perspective. Like, for example, I look at somebody like John Brown, who's definitely going to be boom and bust from a weekly perspective, but from a season long perspective, like, you know, John Brown's not going anywhere. Whereas someone like, just again, random name, uh, Traquan Smith. He's probably boomer bust from a season long perspective. Like, you know, he he like he could either be a starter in the Saints offense or he could be like a guy that's not even cracking the rotation, you know. So I think there's a, an important distinction there, too. when you're also talking about roster construction. So let's imagine that Chris here and thank you for calling in and thank you for the nice words. We really do appreciate it. Honestly, like when people say nice things, I, I really do feel yeah. nice about it. So that's not just BS, um, especially something like this that we're growing and fostering. That's always nice. So. I think um, wide receivers, it seems a bit easier to talk about boomer bust when we're discussing because running backs are either satellite change of pace guys or, you know, Jordan Howard-esque power rushers or the super elite guys who do all the things. Um, So let's focus on wide receivers to begin with. I'm imagining that this guy really likes the Will Fullers of the world, the Deshaun Jacksons of the world, the John Browns, Stephon Diggs to a certain extent. Sure. Uh, And so if we're looking at like floor guys in the late rounds, you know, some of the opposites of those boom or bust guys, then you're looking, you know, there's Adam Humphreys at wide receiver 61. You would like to think he's not really boomer. B- oh, you don't like it at all. You're, I don't, you're, I don't you're pushing, dislike you're, it. I thought you were physically pushing the take away. No, I think Adam Humphreys is just not really a congruent floor play because the exposure to the end zone is going to be so limited. Yeah, I mean, he's he's like the Jamison Crowder type receiver that we've talked right. about the last few weeks. It's like low volume slot guy that's not going to score touchdowns. You probably don't want to care. So... Maybe the thought here is... I feel like Marvin Jones is like a nice later floor guy. Floor from a season-long perspective, Correct. but I still view him as a... Because vol- of the way he plays the game. You know, he wins contested catches. He operates in tight spaces. He's not a great separator, but he does win deep. But I guess you know, for the most part, yeah. week in and week out, what you're going to get. In terms of targets... From, and- in volume, yeah, yes. but the results could be sure. fluctuating. But, yeah, I think that's just the, like... Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, so those are, yeah, some of those, like, mid to late round guys. And and then, like, when you're digging super deep, I don't think, like, the Adam Humphreys, the Jamison Crowders, I don't think you should be looking for a floor there. That, I was just going to say, that's like, why I was pushing it away, because I would like to go for upside while the price is so so low. Yeah, it's like, who's going to... You should tell yourself a story of like how this is this guy's going to make a difference for your fantasy team. Michael Gallup is a guy who I really like as a late round bet right now. Tyrell Williams. Yeah, oh, T- Tyrell Williams I feel like is super 11th undervalued. 11th round. Like super undervalued. I think I have him as like wide receiver 40 or 39 and it's just so easy to project volume for him. 
And especially on a team that's going to be throwing the ball a lot, that's going to be down a lot. Yeah, I really, I really have gravitated towards Williams in that in that range a lot because I think he does have a pretty solid season long floor, but is of course probably boomer bust week to week. I think Keenan Allen. I mean, the ankle thing makes me a little bit concerned, but that's someone you, who you know what he's doing in that offense. No, and you know you've made this point several times before is that, and I think this is right. Now, look, we, we have a pretty good idea, like f- as much as we can know that Melvin Gordon's probably going to miss some games this year. I think he could sit all the way out to what, to like week 10 or week nine when he has to report to get that accrued season. I think that's very possible. And for that reason, I think that only boosts like the t- the target total for probably all of these guys, but especially for a guy like Keenan Allen, who is that short, shorter area receiver more so than Mike Williams or even probably Hunter Henry. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Hunter Henry has a ha- higher average depth of target than than a Keenan Allen does this year. And so more of those short targets that would have gone to Gordon, a lot of them are going to go to the other running backs like Austin Eckler, but I think that some of that could soak Allen's way too. I agree. And it's also worth noting that Allen's um, plays over 20 yards uh, has decreased in his healthy seasons in back-to-back years. In fact, last year was the lowest since he's been healthy. So I think, I hope that answered your question, Chris. Um, what about at other positions? Do you have like boomer bust guys that you really like at running back? Well, running, like to be fair, running back, it's it's, it's all, all boomer bust. bust. <laughs> Probably a lot of bust after. I mean, I think Joe Mixon to me is one of the bigger boomer bust guys because we know that he has the talent. We've seen yeah. the breakaway run rate. We've seen him perform even behind a subpar offensive line but when you are missing AJ Green for we don't know how long let's assume at least half the season and when you have a new offensive coordinator even one that you imagine is going to focus on Mixon but you have an offensive line that's somehow managed to get from bad to worse yeah like it's there's only so much that you can rely on his talent so looking at running backs to me like if I'm if I am forced to make a pick, well, if I'm forced to make a pick between Joe Mixon and Dalvin Cook, who are going pretty close together, I'm I'm going to pick Dalvin Cook, even though that's another boomer bust guy for durability reasons. Mm-hmm. And in that same range too, I mean, Damian Williams at running back thirteen. There's probably not a bigger boomer bust guy because, like as we said many times, if you knew that you were drafting Chiefs RB one, you'd take him in the top five picks. But but then I want to I want to try to get Devonta Freeman if I can, oh, yeah. right? Because that to me is a nice floor yeah. pick at the position um, <clears throat> that I can balance bit, him out with. A lot of a little bit volatile because of his injury risk. But you're not going to have a running back that's not, not a little bit volatile. I, I agree with you, but I'm really in on Devonta Freeman this year, and a lot of and people will ask me the first thing is, do you think he can stay healthy with his running style? Which is a fair point. He is like that fearless, aggressive runner that's a little bit smaller. So I get it. But yeah, there's injury risk with every running back, and. There are some floor plays, though, this year, at least I think, like, from a week-to-week and season-long perspective, kind of in that third to fourth round range. And I I was sitting with Brett this morning, uh, tilting about hey. a draft pick to make in the third round with uh, this draft with a bunch of other goofball writers. And in the third round, I was weighing whether to take a running back like Derrick Henry or Chris Carson because I think those two guys are different. Like, I think Henry, from a week-to-week perspective, really high ceiling but very volatile. Um, and then Chris Carson, I think, probably doesn't have that same, like a 14 touchdown ceiling or something like that, which I think Derrick Henry does, but he uh, d- does have a very safe week to week and season long project- projection too. So like those guys in that third to fourth round range, I think are really, there's a there's a mixed bag there. You know, you can go safe like Chris Carson, you can go safe like Mark I, Ingram. I don't think that, um, I think Mark Ingram is much safer than Chris Carson because again, if you look at Chris Carson's history all the way back through college, I mean, he's struggled yeah. with injury throughout his career. Last year was the anomaly. Yep. So we're hoping that and a miracle can repeat itself. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I know that the injury risk is definitely very present, but the fact that we're hearing now that Rashad Penny is like way, you know, way behind in the in the backfield competition, the opportunity is just so great for Chris Carson. It's hard to pass up. Um, I'm saying again, I don't think I don't think almost any running back is safe from a season long perspective because they can always get injured. Especially there's a lot of guys with a history like Chris Carson. But from like when you if you knew Chris Carson's starting, you know what you're about what you're going to get every single week. Same with a guy like Mark Ingram. And to be fair, 
Um, I ended up in this draft pick just chickening out and taking a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. That yeah. makes sense. I was like, oh, I'll just take Stephon Diggs instead. Thanks. At tight end. So t- I, let's just touch on tight end because oh. <laughs> similarly, or maybe even worse than running back, yeah, this worse. is the most volatile. And I just want to share this tidbit because I am growing on Jared Cook increasingly. I did take him in one of our Yahoo mock Who the hell Jesus knows? Christ yeah. that lasted forever uh, drafts. But my buddy Herbie Tiope, who's a beat writer for the New Orleans Saints, was texting me a couple of days ago and he was like, what do you want to know? And I was like, what I want to know is if this Jared Cook stuff is legit. It's nice when they reach out to you. What do you want to what do you want to know? Well, I mean, I got I got sparrows. And he I said, is this legit? And he was like, it's absolutely legit. And I was like, like. 80 plus targets legit? And he said, yes, I would say that 80 plus targets is well within the reason, re- reason the, the range, range of possible, of possible outcomes. outcomes. Um, and that he and Breeze had showed some, some real chemistry. So in the seventh round, and this is actually a perfect example, in the seventh round, when he is going between a guy like Christian Kirk, who we discussed on last episode, is maybe being more volatile because of the question marks surrounding Kyler Murray and his ability to immediately translate into the NFL, given and their schedule, et cetera, their offensive line, all the things. And Will Fuller, who is another boomer bust, big play guy and has struggled to stay on the field. Jared Cook's like a nice, steady floor right in between those guys. Yeah. I think he kind of represents a cliff, too, mm-hmm. um, at the at the actual tight end position because, of course, we know the top three guys, whatever. Zach Ertz was another one I considered at that third-round pick and ended up, yeah, I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it because I think, you know, we all kind of expect a little bit of target. You're paying, target. like— 10% too much. Yeah. It's, you know? And that's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. like, if I even said to myself, if Zach Ertz is here at my fourth round pick, yep. I'm going to take him. Yep. But he's probably not going to be, so whatever. And I thought it might, I thought to myself, like actually being on the, the slow clock and, and saying to myself, I'm much more comfortable passing up tight end here and like waiting for the Howard Ingram Henry tier. And then if I miss out on them, then it's, then that's when you start looking at Cook. And even then, he's, in a tier with Vance McDonald, kind of, but... Vance McDonald's going a little bit later, but even if you miss... Like, to me, if you miss out on the seventh round or the eighth round and getting a tight end, then then you're throwing darts. Like, don't worry about it till double digits. I Yeah, I agree. Then you're looking at, like, am I going to be the guy that... Uh, that you're going to take <laughs> Jordan Reed in the 13th and pray, or you're going to take Mark Andrews. Darren Waller. Sure. Did you watch Hard... Have you watched Hard Knocks at all? I have, yeah. I will say it was very nice. I was already like hoping that Darren Waller would be like a sick sleeper this year. Uh, and then seeing him have like a cool story on Hard Knocks was nice. You know, that's always fun to see. It's just fun to like get a peek behind the curtain. Um, well, we're going to talk the about the AFC West a little bit okay, later. Cool. We'll so say, let's, uh, we'll let's say, save We'll it. save Hard Knocks talk for then because I have some thoughts. Well, I am, I think Matt is too, excited to welcome our guest, who is also a colleague of ours. It's Scott Pianowski. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast, Scott. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Um, you've been killing it uh, all summer, and uh, hopefully I will not stem the momentum that you guys have built up. It's been it's been quite some time since we've talked to you, Scott. Uh, how have you been? How are things in the world of fantasy baseball? Oh, it's a grind. I'll be honest with you. I'm never sad when the baseball season ends, but we're, we're having a ball. And as producer Brett knows, um, it's, it's been a really fun year over at the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball Podcast, which I've been pleased to host. But baseball is such a long season, six months of regular season, plus you know, the month or month and a half of prep. So it'll be nice when October comes and I can just watch baseball more as a fan and not as a grinder. But you know, it's a labor of love. Yeah, every every fantasy sports uh, season has its own cadence. With baseball, it's more of a daily thing. With football, every day of the week has a certain meaning. You're reflecting. You're picking up guys. You're you know looking over matchups, whatever it is. So, I'm getting ready. I'm excited. And also, I did a lot of fantasy hockey work uh, earlier this month too. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place with the seasons. But we all know fantasy football is the monster in the fantasy world, and uh, so that's why I'm excited to talk to you guys. And you know, hopefully. I've done a lot of best ball drafting, and it's thrilled that we have it on Yahoo now. But the main part of my season will be how I do in seasonal. Those drafts are kicking in now, and auctions are kicking in now. And uh, you know how I do in those leagues will really de- determine how successful my season is. Well, you've just teed us up perfectly because I wanted to discuss, and we all wanted to discuss auction strategy with you. It's something we don't really talk about much, oddly, in the fantasy space. And I am particularly interested to hear your opinion and strategy on auction strategy because we share a high stakes league that you that we, we sort of 
it was an auction league and we drafted it together or I drafted it live with you like I was basically a very drunk Jared Goff in Vegas and you were the Sean McVay in my ear saying, stop <laughs> spending money, Loza. Yeah, well, I, I wish I were half as smart as, as Sean McVay. But yeah, you know, I mean, there are some hits and misses on that auction team. I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because nobody cares. But, you know, we, we, hopefully Andrew Luck is healthy. Hopefully Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys can can make up. But the, oh, yeah, what, the jewel of that auction problems. could be is you got – I thought you did an excellent job when when we went to Stars and Scrubs or, you know, you were really in, in the control seat. And you got Josh Gordon for a buck. So that could be – and I said after the auction, I said, you know, I liked a lot of your $1 players. We'll need to get lucky in a couple of them. Well, I mean, what, what better than Josh Gordon? I'm still not really sure what to expect from Gordon. But obviously in drafts now, he's percolated up to fifth, sixth, seventh round, something like that. So, I mean, he has a chance to blow out of the water the $1 you paid for him. And and that's one of the uh, acceptable strategies in an auction. Why, why do you do an auction in general? Is because you can have a team – with a lot of high-end talent. You can have, if you wanted to buy Zeke and McCaffrey on the same team, you could. Or if you wanted to buy no superstars at all, you could. And no more of this, oh, I, I really like uh, Kamara this year. I have the 12th pick. Well, I'm not on Kamara. That stinks. In an auction, you, one reason why you do it is because you can get any player you want and you have so many different strategies that you can employ. So that's, you know, now that we have the functionality to do it, it used to be, well, we can't get everybody in person. It's going to take too long. Now that you can do them online, course at yahoo is is one a great place to do it it becomes something you can do even if your league is all over the country all over the world as long as they all have a good internet connection you can play in this format that's a lot more dynamic and it just gives you more tentacles of strategy to consider well so i'm gonna ask a quick question then about divvying up the cash let's assume matt if you're okay with it a 200 dollar budget i'll allow it okay so scott what do you do, obviously recognizing the importance of the workhorse running back with a player like Zeke Elliott? What how what percentage of that budget are you willing to pay? Not for Melvin Gordon, because we know the reports are that his holdout is likely to extend into the regular season. But someone like Zeke, how much are you paying? What should people expect to pay? Now, here's where it's hard to put an exact number because every auction is different and it could speak to the experience level of your league or, or how star hungry your league is or what certain biases are. It's like when people say, oh, oh you know, we draft quarterbacks two or three rounds earlier than you got you experts always do. And we'll say, well, you have to adjust your room or, you know, sometimes in fantasy baseball, oh, the closer market is much different in my league. Everything is obviously contextual. And so the first thing I would do is if you were going to an auction and you thought that maybe Ezekiel Elliott was a guy you wanted to buy, what I might do is throw out similar players to Ezekiel Elliott. When it was my turn, I might say, okay, let's, um, who's similar to Ezekiel Elliott? Maybe David Johnson's similar to Ezekiel Elliott. Throw out David Johnson, see what he went for. That kind of puts a little fork in the ground or a flag on the ground and says, okay, you know, McCaffrey went for 52 and Kamara went for 50. So Zeke should go in, in that neighborhood. And I think when in our auction where we did get Zeke, I think you paid about what the going rate was for those elite running backs. At the time, we all thought there was a big four, and there was really no reason to worry about Ezekiel Elliott. But if you're not sure of the pricing, a lot of times to get similar players out there, it will give you an idea of what the room is like. Of course, it only takes two people with the same crazy idea, and then a price goes up the flagpole. I mean, you may think that O.J. Howard is going to be a good discount, and then two or three people feel that way, and next thing you know, he goes for what George Kittle went for, and it just doesn't make any sense anymore. But uh, I like to throw out similar players to a player I want. I'll, uh, understanding that I go into auctions very agnostically a lot, and even drafts. I mean, it's not like I, I have to have certain guys. It's more likely that there's players I don't want to take, and then it comes down to price on a lot of other players. But uh, a good way to find out what a good price is on a player is to throw out something that you consider similar who maybe you're not going to buy. It gives you an idea where the market is at. So one one thing, Scott, that I want to ask you about, like one of my favorite parts about the auction is that you can kind of be kind of be a little bit of a troll during an auction, right? Like you can throw out players that you straight up don't want, you know, early on in the process. Like you can throw out Patrick Mahomes as one of the first few players to see if everybody, you know, like sharks smelling blood, like jump in early on. Or, you know, if you're drafting with someone that you know really loves a player, like uh, Brad loves David Montgomery, you throw right. out you throw out David Montgomery and hope to get him to blow a bunch of his budget on the player. Do you like to do that sort of like trolling gamesmanship during the auction or is that like too cute? 
Oh, no, absolutely. And, and anybody, you know, who works at Yahoo who's been in an auction league with Brad, Andy Barron's would be the first guy who would bang on this drum would say, look, get out the list of guys Brad likes and let's <laughs> put them out there. And God love Brad. You know, he'll take a swig of his tequila and he'll go after his players hard. You know, what I tried to do, I tried to give the idea in the room that I'll back off any bid. I don't want people to feel like I'm chasing anybody and that they may get stuck with the player. But yes, absolutely play to people's biases. One of the tried and true nomination strategies is to nominate a player you either don't want that you think will fetch a lot of money or just a player that might not make sense. I mean, if you'd bought Travis Kelsey, probably wouldn't make sense for you to have George Kittle. It's your turn to nominate. Maybe just throw Kittle out there because you're not going to buy him anyway. Get some money out of the room. But I also like to do some tricky things like sometimes throw out the handcuff before the primary back. You know, we don't know what Melvin Gordon's going to go for. Maybe throw out Eckler first. Throw out Tony Pollard first before Elliott. You change up the cadence a little bit. See if you can get a player that you like as a $1 or $2 player. After a bunch of stars have gone and you think maybe you can get David Moore for a buck or two. And again, it's, it's very room dependent. Maybe it won't work. But maybe if you just say David Moore, two bucks, maybe nobody will say anything. Sometimes I'll open a player up at a bid I call the price line bid. Say you discern that Patrick Mahomes is the $30 quarterback and you'd be fine with that. I might just go, okay, Patrick Mahomes, 30 bucks. And now everybody's on the clock. They have to decide right away. It's not this walk up one, two, five, ten. Most of the bids will be walked up slowly. Everybody has a chance to look in their computer, cross the name off their list, whatever. Sometimes it's fun to, to throw out the price line, but just be careful with that because last year, a friend of mine, real good friend of mine, Steve Gleason, guy I've grown up with, uh, he'd been on vacation for a couple of weeks, wasn't really up on the Le'Veon Bell situation, and he just threw out Le'Veon Bell for 45 bucks, crickets, and he's like, what What happened to Bell? It's like, oh, it, uh, you know, him and the Steelers aren't getting along. I think we all started at that time he would play, but, you know, bidding – because you think you can take advantage of somebody, you're bidding because you think it's going to set up a bidding war, you know, whatever it is. All those things that you mentioned are good ideas. I mean, we're lucky that we know Brad so well. I mean, he puts out his playbook of the guys he likes. You may be in a room where you don't know the people that well. But if you do know the biases at play, by all means, all's fair in an auction. Use that to your advantage. What about being a wallflower? Because I think there is this thought that if you stay really quiet and you just kind of blend into the furniture and you don't drink too much tequila, you don't throw out too many bids and you don't, you know, make a nuisance of yourself, then you'll have all of your money to spend at the end. But that, in fact, backfires, right? Well, the, the worst, the absolute worst moment in an auction is if you realize you spent your money, I'm sorry, saved your money, and then you realize there's not enough talent to actually spend it on. And then you end up spending $40 on Anthony Miller or something because there's nobody left to get. And that's happened famously in, in all sorts. Of, there's one year in Tout Wars Fantasy Baseball League, a guy's a guy went in. That's why I don't go in with hard code. I, I put out prices and everything. They're ranges. They're, they're suggestions. You have to adjust it in the, in the middle of the game. It's like you would never say, oh, I'm going to play poker tonight. Oh, are you going to raise on the third hand? Are you going to play aggressively? Uh, you know, you don't know. You have to see what the room is like and feel it out. And a lot of it is art more than it is science. I, I was in Tout Wars once fantasy baseball. A guy had set a bunch of prices. It turned out he had read the room wrong. He Halfway through the auction, he had more money than everybody, and there was just not enough goods to go out and spend it on. And uh, he, he, it just was really hard to recover from. I like to say that if the early spending is crazy, if you think, oh, my God, everybody's going for 10 or $15 more than I think, it wouldn't be a bad idea to get a player anyway, just so at, at least you, you don't get in that situation where you've totally misread the market and you've saved up all this money for not enough goods that are left over. And also keep in mind, if you're going to, quote unquote, overpay for somebody, it might as well be for somebody you really like or somebody you really need. Again, there's nothing worse than, oh, my God, I have nothing left to spend my money on. So I'm going to spend it on Austin Hooper or something like that. That's the worst feeling in an auction. So I like to be a little balanced and do some get some bidding in early, you know, buy my team at, at a reasonable pace. I mean, I'm, I'm not married to that. There's been times, I think if you're in an experienced auction, a lot of times the early bidding is a great time to buy players. If you're in an auction with people who haven't done it, a lot of times the early prices are crazy. That's not a perfect rule. You have to fill out your room again. But let me throw out one other piece of strategy I want people to be mindful of. If you're not interested in a player, okay, let's just say for whatever reason you don't want Travis Kelsey this year, and they're walking up Kelsey. Everybody knows Kelsey's a great player, so you're not worried about him going for 10 bucks. I mean, he's going to go for a big number. Don't get involved in the bidding if you can avoid it. And the reason I say that is because, you know, if Matt says 33 on Kelsey and say I don't want Kelsey, but I think he's worth 40. So I say 34. 
I signal to the room that I'm going to defend Matt. I'm not, Matt's not going to get Kelsey for a perceived discount. I'm here to be the sheriff, and other people are going to let me do that. They're going to let me be the price enforcer. So if you don't want to be the price enforcer or you don't want to win the bid yourself, let other people do that. Now, if, if there's a ridiculous price, you know, uh, Ertz is going to go for 15 bucks, going once, going twice. Yeah, I scream out 16. Yeah, that's crazy. But if I don't want to be the guy who's the sheriff, who's the price enforcer, I try to stay quiet and let somebody else do it. Because if you put your bid out there just because just because you feel like saying a number, you just it's fun to bid, right? It gives the wrong impression to the room, and then you may get caught in a situation you don't want to be caught in. I think that makes a lot of sense, and actually segues beautifully to the next segment I want to discuss. It is the AFC West, and Antonio Brown has certainly gotten stuck into a situation that perhaps he didn't want to get stuck into. Matt, I will give you the floor now for your hard knocks thoughts. So I just want to, you know, talk about this real quick because I did not think I would be at all interested in this season of Hard Knocks. I went into it thinking I'm kind of over the whole John Gruden. I don't know if I want to call it a shtick or his persona. I was out on that. Wasn't really interested in the Antonio Brown experience. I appreciate Antonio Brown for who he is, even though that is a, a, a grading personality sometimes. Um, I overall find him. I'm I'm glad the football world has Antonio Brown, even if he's, you know, not the best. But so I, I didn't expect to watch any of the season. But of course, like a stupid sheep uh, with all the Antonio Brown news, I have started to watch Hard Knocks. And I have to say, I, I'm really enjoying uh, I'm having a ton of fun watching John Gruden, but only when he's on screen with our boys, Nathan Peterman and Mike Glennon. Oh, that, Glenn on? Glenn on. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a damn treat watching Gruden uh, needle these two awful backup quarterbacks, especially Peterman, who like he just I know that like there was that I almost think there's like a, a way where he like Gruden was like hoping to distract from uh, the Antonio Brown madness by that one quote that he put out where he's like, I'm kind of liking this Nathan Peterman guy because you can tell in, in camp he does not like Nathan Peterman. It's a lot of fun. But here's what we're learning on Hard Knocks is this team is and especially Gruden is like willing to bend over backwards to make Brown happy and comfortable. And I think that kind of matters for fantasy or like projecting the Raiders, because I think this offense is going to be so Brown centric, no matter what, that it kind of eases my concerns about him, you know, going to a, a downgraded quarterback, going to a team that's not going to throw the ball as much. I really think this offense is just going to be, he's clearly their best player and they clearly know how dependent they are on him. That it's actually, despite the fact that they have a tough schedule to open up, you know, they open up with Denver, Kansas City, Minnesota, Indianapolis, Chicago, Green Bay, Houston, it, until Detroit in week nine, they it's tough to find a win for them. Like that's going to be a lot of adversity. And you've talked about this, Liz. That's going to be a lot of adversity for Antonio Brown. I, I, watching Hard Knocks has actually kind of made me feel a little bit better about how much they're just bending over backwards for this guy. Scott, where do you have Antonio Brown ranked? Now, I've already discussed my piece, so I, I'd like to get another perspective. I mean, I have him ranked, but he's basically not on my board. I'm not going to have any Antonio Brown I don't. I I know. Look, diva receivers. I mean, every, every great receiver has to have an ego to some extent, and that can be a good thing if it's ego under control. But he hasn't had any time to to mesh with Derek Carr. I'm not sure if I trust Gruden. This offensive line is in really bad shape, which doesn't necessarily. A lot of times, an offensive line can be masked in pass protection more than run protection or run blocking. That that's an easier way to to work around that. But. I don't like him changing teams. I think he's on the back nine of his career anyway. Last year, a lot of his efficiency metrics. I'm, I'm curious what reception perception said about Brown. I know he had a lot of touchdown deodorant to his fantasy season, but some of the kind of front door metrics didn't like him. And again, I'm you know I defer to Matt with his secondary stuff, which is an excellent product. And uh, it's always nice when we agree, and when we don't, I feel like I have to you know go back to work and figure out where I went wrong. But um, Brown is a guy I was nervous about. Anyway, before all the circus stuff started. Yeah, Brown, and, and I mean, I think I've mentioned this before. But Brown, SRVC. Yeah, Brown, like from a success rate versus coverage reception perception standpoint, uh, you know, he was still as great as he ever was. He's been, I okay. tweeted, this, tweeted this out over the last five years. You know, he's still, he's cleared the 96th percentile in success rate versus man coverage in all five of those seasons, which is pretty much unprecedented in, in the series history. Like nobody's as good as getting open. I'm, I'm, as, cu I'm curious, Matt, does, I, I know this can be very difficult to figure out because the problem yeah. with, 
football metrics versus like baseball. Baseball, it's hitter versus pitcher. And for the most part, the the rest of the players don't matter. I mean, they matter on a very small scale. Maybe the catcher is, you know, has a good rapport with the pitcher. He frames well. Maybe the defense is good. But for the most part, baseball is a one-on-one isolated matchup. And we can tell who's good and who isn't good. And we can make definitive statements. It's so much harder in football because, you know, there's so many people on every play. Was the right play called? You know, what did the left guard do his job? Blah, blah, blah. Was there blown coverage? Somebody fall down. But is the reception perception score as much as you can tell? And I know it's still a fairly new metric. I'm curious if you've had examples of a receiver who looked like a good or bad receiver on one team. And then because of the quality of quarterback he went to, if his metrics changed a lot. I just wonder how much a quarterback could maybe have a say in somebody's reception perception. Do you have even a, a guess of how true that could be? Off the top of my head, I can't think of specific examples about guys who've changed teams. But I will say I will say this, like. Amari Cooper. Yeah, well, Cooper, like the thing that changed so much with him, and it wasn't, but it wasn't just that when he left Oakland to to Dallas, uh, it was the usage like between 2017 to 2018 was very different. But that was mostly like a deployment situation where he's lining up at flanker and inside a lot. But I will say one thing, now I've been doing this series for five years, and I, I feel pretty good about saying like, overall statements about it as opposed to I would have like two years ago a lot of these metrics are pretty stable even when guys do change teams like Amari Cooper is a great example he's been pretty steady throughout his entire career and a little probably a little less than people would expect Allen Robinson last year looked much more like you know 2000 not quite to 2015 form but a little bit uh closer to that than he was in 2016 so I I don't think it's so much influenced by quarterback but I think it is important to note with you know, they, these guys can get open and that's why I'm doing this series is they can go and get open, but they still need the quarterback to hit them with timing, to be precise, everything like that. You know, the, the classic example I have for that is a same Raiders team, Michael Crabtree, when he had very similar metrics in San Francisco as he did when he went to Oakland, but playing with a quarterback like Colin Kaepernick, who's a good quarterback, but not a timing based thrower to someone like Derek Carr that was actually a pretty big difference maker for him. And I think that's worth asking with Brown, of course. I want to also say, you mentioned Allen Robinson just in passing. I want to, he was one of my biggest fades last year. I'm very much in on Allen Robinson this year. And you and um, me both, you know, man. You and me yeah, both. So if you, if you, if you care what Matt and I think, and Liz, you can be the third one in if you want, but uh, I think Allen Robinson is a guy to get. Well, let's, let's stay with the Raiders for one second because there is one player sure. I want to talk about because he's getting very little pub, and that's Josh Jacobs. He's refused, from what I understand, to be on camera. Yeah, for he's, he think he specifically knocks. tweeted that out that he has been avoiding them. Yeah, um, he doesn't want to do it. And I was hoping to have more information on him because he has never been. I mean, the knock against him coming out of Alabama and into the draft was that he's never been the RB1 on any team. And yet his explosiveness is what allowed him to be the only running back selected in the first round. He is working behind, as you brilliantly mentioned, an offensive line that figures to be kind of a disaster in Oakland. We haven't... After Gabe Jackson got hurt. There's no, like, I'm not seeing much beat writer information on him. Um, I still have him in my... I took him out of my top 20 and moved him down to my top 22, and that's mostly because I have Chris Carson moving up a little bit, as much as I don't like that. Um, (laughs) But... um, I like Chris Chris Carson. Yeah, but we we don't want to talk about him. We've talked about him enough. I want you to talk about Josh Jacobs. Yeah, we just did a collaborative today, Thursday, on uh, the Fantasy Rookie of the Year. And I picked Jacobs for a couple of reasons. For one thing, I didn't have the first pick in this thing, so I, I, I probably would have taken Montgomery. But I just feel that he has such a high projectable volume, and that's such a huge part of figuring out fantasy football running back value. It's just getting the touches, playing three downs. I mean, I guess we don't know for sure if the Raiders were using on third down. Jalen Richard is ostensibly a pretty good satellite back, but – I believe that the Raiders are going to use him a lot. And Don't get your kid him, with chicken pox near him. <laughs> yeah, anti-vaxxer Jalen Richard. Right, right, anti-vaxxer. Um, and as far as not having a bell cow role in college, which I know can be a, a red flag, sometimes I'll give a guy a pass if he went to a football talent factory like Alabama because they just have so many darn good good players that sometimes they never have to commit to one guy because they, there's an assembly line of talent 
So I don't know. Granted, I mean, you know, Ingram won the, won the Heisman trophy there. I think Derrick Henry won the Heisman too. So there have been guys who have gotten roles enough that they can win major awards. So that isn't a perfect maybe comparison, but I give Jacobs a little bit of a pass just because Alabama's roster is always so stacked. It makes sense that they would give other people the ball. The big problem with me and Jacobs is that I didn't like Oakland's offensive line to begin with. And then it's, Looks like it's gotten worse since camp started with with injuries and with jostling it had to do. I'm afraid this might be a bottom seven, bottom eight offensive line, and I'm, I think it's going to be a six or seven win team at best. I don't think there's any chance they have a winning record. So, what, unless he's he, he better be a three down back if he's going to be valuable because I think they're going to be behind a lot. I think they're going to lose a lot of football games. I think the blocking is going to be bad. So, I think the volume's really safe, but I'm not really sure the efficiency is going to be great. Let's move on to Brett's favorite team, Brett. Oh, God. Let's, well, let's talk go. about the Denver Broncos. It's funny. We're Flacco watching. Flacco time, baby. No. Flacco for Flacco, right? <laughs> we were actually, I was at the office with Brett um, on Monday and the preseason effort that the Broncos put together with my boy Drew Locke was on and everybody was teasing me. Sprained a thumb. I know. Out for the rest of the preseason. Don't hurt your thumb, man. That's no joke. I hurt my thumb. I, I can't tie my shoes for crying out loud. Well, how about the thumbs up that Emmanuel Sanders got? He looks wildly yeah. healthy. Just what, eight or nine months removed from that Achilles God, tear at good. 32 years old. He's the player I'm most interested in. He has, since being with the Broncos, managed over a thousand yards in three of his last five seasons. He hasn't been able to stay on the field for the past two. So that's a concern. But right now, such an amazing value available in the ninth round, end of the ninth round, really. He's the wide receiver 43 coming off the board in drafts. What are your feelings about Sanders? Do you still think that's a good value? Do you think the risk is baked in enough? Are you expecting that his draft stock is going to rise? I was so out on Sanders until a few weeks ago. And with him making this quote-unquote miraculous recovery, I think I at least need to reevaluate. What it's really done is it's pushed me off. Deshaun Hamilton, who I thought was going to be on a lot of my teams. Nobody, I'm not trolling Brett when I say this. Nobody's excited about Flacco. Nobody wants to see a rookie quarterback play who wasn't like a high pedigree pick. I think this could be a really, you know, a bottom 10, bottom 12 offense, even though I do like the running backs, but that's a, another headache for fantasy too. But Sanders to me is going to be good enough that I can't feel good about the guy I want to draft. And because he's 32, because he's been through so much attrition, it's just I'd rather be a year early than a year late on players like that. So even though I like I admire the comeback, I, I had him ranked too low. I think I might have had him outside my top 50 or 55 until about a week ago. So I was wrong on that, but I'm still not eager to draft him. I think it's probably more trap than it is treat. Ooh, Matt, do you think it's a trap? I have been getting back. I've been getting in on Sanders. Yeah. Uh, I have met wide receiver 33. What? At top of tier six. Wow. Ahead of, ahead of um, you know. Guys like Corey Davis. I put him ahead of Dante Pettis now after the way camp is gone. I know it's very risky health-wise. Scott's points are completely valid. Um, but I will say for Joe Flacco, I'm far from a Flacco apologist. But we've seen throughout his career that when he locks in on one guy as kind of his binky, you know, his safety blanket, like that's his guy and he will continue to go back to him. You know, even... Even last year, it was like John Brown was on pace for a yeah. thousand yards with because because Flacco was just locked in on him he was, until Jackson came in. Yeah, he was just pumping him air yards volume. You know, back when Steve Smith was on the team, he locked in on him. Even Derek Mason at the very beginning of his career was that guy. And I think from all camp reports, Sanders has looked like himself. He looks like a guy who is healthy, and that the, this connection has been the clear best one on the team. I mean, and. Cortland Sutton, I think, is is still he might become a good player at some point, but he's a long way away. Hamilton is not as is a good player, but not as dynamic as Sanders. So I've I've been really back in on Sanders and I'm ready for that. Like, sure, I'm ready for that to bite me in the ass. But also, like, I'm taking it, taking him in like the ninth, the ninth, ninth round. round. Right. And it, yeah, still, you, you can get you could draft him as one of your backups. Right. Yeah, like I mean, wide receiver four. Who cares? And this is kind yeah. of what we talked about. We had a voicemail call in and we had discussed floor players and so I feel like Sanders is one of these later round guys if you are chasing all of those upside players sooner slot Sanders in late and find yourself some balance easy to project him for 100 targets like if he plays 16 games which of course as Scott mentions is is a huge if I get I guess one other thing with Sanders one thing I've tried to do is I've had a lot of good luck in fantasy baseball through the years with old boring veterans and I've kind of adopted this is 
a really simple concept that I, I probably should have been more mindful of for years is football's just such a young person's game. And when guys get into their 30s, I generally look for a way out rather than a way in. Again, the price on Sanders is so good. And if we can establish that he's the number one target for Flacco, then that's perfectly reasonable. And again, you know, you're getting him as your receiver four, receiver five. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, I see, you know, I respect the opposite side of Sanders, but I've tried to get more mindful with, with skewing younger with the guys I drafted. And I just want to mention in passing, Derek Mason's name came up. I think Derek Mason might be the most underrated modern receiver of all time. That guy could really play. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I have a, feel, a good feeling about Sanders. Do we want to talk Chargers? Yeah, oh, this, let's this is do the, it. this is the sizzling one, right? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, just today, uh, NFL media's own Ian Rappaport reported that Melvin Gordon's holdout will likely last into the regular season. Matt, you already talked earlier about how you think it's going to extend through Week Ten. If he's not, if he's not going to show up for like a couple, and maybe this is just you know. PTSD from like Le'Veon Bell last year or they're just being hung up on that but like if he doesn't show up for the first week of the season if he doesn't show up for the second week the third week what's the point of just if he's making a stand not just sit all the way out to the point where he has to um, show up show up to get the accrued season which is I believe week nine or ten I, I don't remember off the top of my head but it's, it's a long ass time from now folks <laughs> Uh, like, yeah, I'd, I could, if he's like gonna, the time you start worrying about Kareem Hunt is the time you'll start benefiting yeah. potentially from Melvin Gordon. Right. Put it so, in perspective. So sick. Maybe you, <laughs> can, you can do the, I have, I've had pitched an idea about a segment to do like where I draft a fantasy team and just forget it and like, just leave it alone until November and then try to save it. Maybe on that team in this theoretical thing, that's not going to happen and just draft Melvin Gordon and Kareem Hunt and be like, I'll worry about those guys later. You yeah. Know? We'll see what happens. Scott, what does that mean for Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson in your rankings? Because right now, Eckler has outsnapped Jackson uh, two to one ratio. So it seems like Eckler's the guy to own, but we've heard a lot of great reports about Jackson, and he's obviously the cheaper option. And I don't think it's going to be a one for one here. I'm still an Eckler guy. If you have to have one of those guys, I think he's going to get the 60%, the 65%. I know it's hard to extrapolate. The games that Gordon didn't play last year. I mean, teams, a lot can change. Momentum can flip on a, on a backfield. You know, one guy fumbles, one guy has a really good half or a good game, and then all of a sudden the whole script is is changed. And you know, teams a lot of times they don't even designate what they're going to do until they're faced in that situation. Of course, the Chargers have to. The gravity of it is in their face right now because they know there's a good chance that Gordon may come back. What I'm holding on to with some hope, uh, Frank Schwab and I, Yahoo colleague, we're drafting a team together, a 12 teamer. I think we just recently took Gordon in the fifth round. And what I'm holding on to, and this is all narrative, I you know, I'm not, I don't have any special chargers, and you guys are certainly closer to LA than I am. At least the acrimony of Bell and the Steelers, I don't think is present with Gordon and the Chargers. I mean he's holding out, I get it, but I always felt like Steelers and Bell, it was like a bad breakup. And like these guys didn't couldn't even have a civil conversation. I don't think it's that bad with Gordon. I'm still holding out hope that we might see him in September. And I'm will, I'm more willing to maybe take that fifth, sixth round plunge on him, thinking, you know what? The moment he comes back, I could feel like I had the best roster in the league just by Gordon showing up. That's brave. I don't know if I'm that courageous. I'm such a floor guy to my detriment. I mean, I, a lot of my draft strategies are a little bit on the boring side, but I don't know. I'm, well, in I'm the feeling... fifth or the sixth round, that's interesting because Eckler is going in the sixth, sixth round. Yeah. And so I guess the question is, Scott and Matt, I'll pose it to you. Do you have Eckler inside of your top 30? I have him at 30. I have him in tier six at running back. No, sorry. Tier seven at running back 33, which is actually like. So just outside. Just outside. But within the range, because he's in the same tier as, as Miles Sanders, who mm -hmm. I have at running back 30. And I mean, I'd. 10 times out of 10 rather take Sanders but yeah Eckler's like easy to it's easy to tell yourself the story of how this is going to work touching out him. I kind of don't like it I, I, I know I know you don't like it but I will say just like I I have been kind of willing to let go because I think Liz you and I were on in lockstep in this uh, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or whatever that the fact that Eckler kind of flopped as a at, with the games when Melvin Gordon was out I've been kind of willing to let that go it's like a small sample sort of thing and the fact he is so efficient the last few years as a runner but, but do you think that I just don't think it's a one for one I don't I think while I don't think Melvin Gordon has very much leverage none it's certainly not compared to 
to Ezekiel Elliott, you know, for example, because he is not the heartbeat of the Chargers offense. Anthony Lynn has a scheme that these running backs can run through successfully. I just don't think that Austin Eckler is going to be a copy and paste replica of what Gordon is doing. And I think Justin Jackson is going to be on them. You think this is going to work as much more of a platoon than people are expecting. That's why he's going in the sixth round as opposed to like round three. Like remember last year when James Conner. Well, do you think that's the do you think he's going in the sixth round because of that? Or do you think he's going in the sixth round because people like Scott are thinking that Gordon might come back? And so let's leave him. Let's hang him out around the fifth. I think it it seems like some could be a little bit of both. Yeah. All right. So any other Chargers hot takes? (laughs) (laughs) So Austin Eckler is an RB3 is what we are all pretty much saying. Yeah. By the way, I have the same ranking as Matt did on Eckler. He's my running back 33. Although I will mention that I'd, I'd rather have Sanders or Breida. Um, there's a couple other guys. Breida. That oh, that's more interesting. interesting to me. I'm a, a huge Matt Breida guy. Well, let's way, talk but... about that for a second then. Just take it away for a sec about Matt Breida, even though we're outside of the division. Well, first of all, I always thought that McKinnon was looked like he was in the way, but he really wasn't. Now, I think everybody can see now that McKinnon isn't going to start the year with the team and you know, maybe he has no role at all. I just don't think he's all that good. I and Coleman isn't meant to be a featured back. I know he obviously was Shanahan's guy in Atlanta, you know, at least his secondary guy, but it's not like they threw the ball to him until he threw up or anything. I mean, you know, they used to always kind of pace him with his workload. I know I see that. I think he had the sickle cell trait, which would sometimes be a factor when they played at certain altitudes and everything. I think both these guys, the problem with Breed is you just don't know how many games he's going to play, but his efficiency last year, both as a rusher and a receiver were ridiculous. And I believe in a Mike Shanahan offense. I mean, last year he made it, good with um, you know Garoppolo got hurt Mullins was still pretty decent now that I don't sweat when teams have two primary runners like Seattle with Carson and Penny uh, San Francisco now I think with Breida and um, Coleman primarily they you know maybe Mostert will get some work maybe McKinnon will miraculously come back when I just see two backs I can hang my hat on those two guys only I don't think they have to necessarily cannibalize each other and ruin each other you get worried when there's the teams with three backs four backs Baltimore's really crowded. New England's always crowded. You know, Philadelphia could be crowded, although maybe Sanders emerges. And actually, you know, there's guys in all those cities who could emerge. But Matt Burita might go down as my most drafted running back commodity this wow. year. Wow. Mm, wow. Well, I want to stick with the running back position when we talk about the Chiefs. Matt and I have already talked about Damian Williams, I think, at nauseum. We did it in the last episode. So what's your take on the Chiefs' backfield, Scott? He scares me. I, I know that Andy Reid has a history of, of the one featured back and all that, but a lot of times that speaks to who your talent is. Williams just has such a limited resume. I know he was great down the stretch last year. And the other thing is, and maybe you guys can reel me in or maybe you'll just encourage it. I, I've just fallen for Darwin Thompson. I think Darwin Thompson has a chance to be a special player. So I, I don't think Hyde is a problem. I think Hyde has an excellent chance of not even making the final roster or, or just being a spare part, a game day scratch. I, I mean, to me, Hyde isn't even in the way, much like I thought of McKinnon. But um, I think Thompson's the problem. I can't take – Williams is going at a price where you really need him to be good. And I'm just not comfortable. He's a little bit overpriced for my personal taste. Not saying it's not right. I just can't sign off on the check right now. What did you guys say? The same thing, basically. It's super volatile. <laughs> there have been times I've drafted him, but you know, I, I, it's not a it's not a comfortable. He has feeling. been a player that I've flip flopped over, admittedly, since I don't know June. I go back and forth over him, and we've talked about this. That when you look at the offense and the opportunity he has with someone as dynam- dynamic as Patrick Mahomes leading that offense, it's hard to not want to buy in. But the question is: Yes, does Darwin Thompson have the ability to eventually unseat him? Does he have the talent? Does running back talent matter? Um, but I agree with you, Scott. To me, Damian Williams is is being priced at an absolute RB1 level. And so if he isn't, that's a pretty, the floor just seems really, really low. And eventually I'm just choosing to eschew it and usually take a wide receiver there. He can't instead. have a floor. He has no resume. No, he has he, no his, floor. His floor no, is he's cut by teams in week five Basic. or six. Yeah, I, I, like he could, he could be, he could either be a top, he could be our RB1 or on the waiver wire by week 10. A very like, boomer bust episode. Yes, this yeah. is, is a very, very volatile episode. Grand Canyon wide with, with him. Um, are you guys as excited about Thompson as I am? Well, right now, like, we like if, him. You, if you if you are excited about Thompson, you're going to have to start paying for him because he's now running back 48. Yeah, true. He's a 10th round pick, like which I get because this backfield, like Damon, Damian, or Damian Williams is a mercurial starter in of, in of himself. Uh, and then, of course, this backfield, it just produces 
fantasy options, the running back position. You know, Spencer Ware was productive when he was back there. Charkandrick West had his moments. You know, Kareem Hunt, of course, is, is good. But still, like, I think... Darwin Thompson can come in and be productive. And, you know, there are analysts who really liked him coming out of college, which helps. And, yeah, I mean, Carlos Hyde to me was always like, that was oh, the one thing. When it was Carlos Hyde or Damian Williams, like, oh. GFOH, it's yeah, not going to yeah. happen. Yeah, I was like, oh, Damian Williams, that's that's the guy. Like, because his competition is Carlos Hyde. But if his competition is now an exciting young runner, I think that could be something, or at least it could end up being a full-blown committee. You want, you still want to attach yourself to this backfield with your running backs. But now that a cheaper, enticing option who's not Carlos Hyde, like now I'm, now I'm interested. Now I'm in. All right. Well, I think most people are in on the Chiefs, so we don't really need to. Uh, uh, last question, Scott: Are you taking Travis Kelsey if he does not fall into the second round? Are you taking him at the ten spot of the first round? I'm out on the three vanity tight ends. Uh, I think Ertz is going to lose a, a ton of targets. Uh, I love Kittle, but you know so much of it was yak last year. Sometimes that doesn't translate year over year. Well, Pettis is pretty it, good. It pains me to say too. something bad about Kittle. Plus, Andy Barron's just went for my knees. With Kelsey, I just don't like the shape of my rosters when I take a tight end early. I just feel like I'm chasing at the running back and receiver positions. I find enough guys in the second or third tier. Maybe I have ha- Howard. Maybe I go boring with a Hooper, but I'm not going to have Kelsey this year. He's a great player, but I just hate buying at the high end of a range. Don't hate it at all. And we definitely don't hate you. We love you, Scott Pianowski. Thank you so much for coming on the show and being our special guest this week. You guys should definitely go follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. Scott, tell everyone what you're working on now. Uh, Well, if, if you are interested in tight ends, especially if you don't need a vanity one, I just priced all of them. Um, so you can check that out. That's on uh, Yahoo to go with uh, Matt's tight end tiers. I think Dalton did the ADP tight end report. So the great thing about Yahoo is if you don't agree with one of us, you can just go to somebody else. But I have priced my tight ends. Uh, of course, if you're still playing fantasy baseball, the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast is up and about. And I have a bunch of variety of other things. I've listed players I'm trying to draft, players I haven't drafted. So, you know, basically my picks and my pans are all on the web. Uh, Scott underscore Pianowski will get you a link to most of my content. And also, if you enjoy... Uh, the sound of my voice and my opinions, and I'm sure a lot of people don't. Uh, I've been on a bunch of other podcasts this week. I was on the Evan Silva, Adam Leviton podcast. I was on the Fantasy Pros podcast. I do do a podcast with Michael Salfino. So, you know, if you uh, if you want to listen to me, I'm out there. If you don't, you know, listen to Liz, listen to Matt, listen to Brad. You know, we have a lot of different voices at Yahoo, and hopefully you'll find one that uh, that fits your style. Well, if we learned anything this episode, it is boom, bust, and pivot. Thank you so much, Scott, for being with us. Peace. So, Matt, it sounds like you have been uh, bullied into an announcement. I've not been bullied into an announcement. I've had a change of heart or I've come to a realization. Why are you pointing at me? Matt has bullied himself (laughs) into making an announcement. He's bullied me into letting him make an announcement. That's not quite true, Brett. I came in this morning to the studio and asked if what your thoughts on or i said i would like to do something and it seems like you're being very concise about this whole thing right now true so we're going to do a listener league (laughs) and by we i mean me and brett liz does not wish to be involved in the listener league and that is quite all right so this is for the record i was not asked to be in the listener league i was not a part of the conversation this morning you said yeah yeah i have boundaries as a person and i am not doing it (laughs) right but this morning you guys clearly had a second conversation and i will happily allow Allow you two to play in your own sandbox Hold and take up. a back. No, seat. no, f- this, f- that. If Matt right. said, "Let's go to Vegas," and you said, "I don't want to go to Vegas. I have boundaries," and then he came to me later and said, "So about Vegas." Because Liz isn't going. Yeah. My, you can't be offended that we offended. had the gut. I am not offended. That we had another conversation. I am just trying to present the facts to our listeners oh that gosh. I am I am not at all offended. You all have fun with your listener league. I just wasn't invited. So I'm sorry, listeners, if you wanted to be in a listener league with me, you're just going to have to settle for Matt and Brett, who, by the way, you'll probably prefer being in your listener league. Give the rules, Matt. My brain is on fire right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's turning pink. This so, is kind of amazing. <laughs> this is this is so grinding my gears. Anyways, the listener league. Here's how here's how this is gonna go. So here's how you get in the damn listener league. Step number one, you have to leave a rating and review, five stars only on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, please leave a funny review. 
Make it interesting. If you're boring, you're not getting in the league. Bottom line. Step two, you have to join our Facebook group, the Fantasy Football Survival Kit. You type it in on Facebook. I'll put a link on Twitter. You can do it there. If you just, And now all you got to do, once you do that, you got screenshot proof of both of those things. You send it to me on Twitter, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. You're entered to be in the listener league. Uh, and then we'll pick 10 people because it's going to be a 12-team league. Brett and myself, and it'll be fun all year. You can kick my ass all year, and then Brett will win the league. And you're going to make it super flex, yeah? We are going to make it super flex. There will probably be an additional flex spot, too. It's going to be, you know, all the stuff that you people dream of but you can't do with your schlub friends out there. Yeah. That's going to be this league. Half-point PPR. Half-point PPR, the Yahoo standard. Exactly. So it's going to be great. Liz, we will... Think of you fondly since we forced you out of the league, obviously, per the narrative that was dropped at the beginning of this tidbit. I mean, I am I am just stepping away so that there's another listener who could take one of those slots. Yeah, or and Brett. <laughs> I mean, that that's Brett. I'm not gonna say that he is not anything but generous. Brett is wonderful. That I can agree with. All right. So that's our show for today. Um, we will be back next week. In the meantime, go and Go ahead and rate and review the podcast. Now, even if you don't want to be in the damn listener league, because we'll appreciate it. Matt's got a rookie orientation pod still going on. This week, we've got, uh, we just did Kyler Murray, which is exciting. Well, I probably said that on the line. I forgot we're doing two podcasts a week now. Next week, we've got Devin White and then the grand finale, Daniel Jones. Ooh. A cliffhanger. A big cliffhanger. Will he be good? Will he won't? We do have we do have a really fun guest on on that podcast though. All right, so we'll look forward to that. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. We are out until next week. <laughs> <laughs>